following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 861 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and indeed the scholarly, Brittany Page. Well, you are you... Is it painful to talk? I guess we should start there because you're... We talked about your 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 dental problems last time, and here we are with uh, another mouth related issue for you. A new mouth story. Yes. Yeah, uh, I burned my mouth, the top of my mouth, like a fucking child. Uh, so you ever have? And it wasn't like hot, like scalding melted cheese or anything like that. It was a flat potato a delicious potato yeah for sure delicious so we do we do um one of those meal kit company ones we won't say which one until they start paying us yeah that's that's, that's right once they're ready to pony up some cash we will start talking about it yeah uh so anyway <laughs> so you made dinner and i ate the first potato and it was fine and then i ate the second potato and somehow it, like, with the flatness of it, just suctioned to the top of my mouth. And it was, it's the worst burn I've ever had inside my mouth. Yeah. I mean, that's happened. It happens to everybody. You, you bite into something, like, oh, shit, that's hot. And it was, like, the, the, the skin on the top of my mouth started, like, shifting around because an immediate blister formed. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I just brushed my teeth prior to going live you got to do that. It's important. <laughs> Brushing the teeth? Yeah. Very important. This this mic cover will start smelling funky if oh. you don't have the fresh breath that you are breathing into it on a regular basis. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. Mm, it smells fresh. Has that always been yours or does that oh, get switched I don't know. out? I exactly. Don't know. Exactly. Maybe a guest has used this. Yeah. Um so anyway, not good. Definitely hurts. Mm-hmm. But it's giddy. you know, it's like when you um you, I bite my nails. So those of you who bite your nails, you'll know. Every once in a while, you'll bite your nail down too far, or you'll peel it off, and it'll peel away like into the skin of the nail bed. And it's like, and like, so it doesn't hurt so much that day, but like the next day and the next day, it's real, real painful. Mm-hmm. That's how my mouth is right now. It's, it was not great that night. The next day was worse. The next day was worse, and here we are. On Saturday, and it's even worse. It's the worst. I think tomorrow will be better. It'll be the first day that it gets better. I would love to yes and you right now, but uh, based on what do you think that? (laughs) I am trying to be positive for Uh, you. I appreciate that. So that you don't lose hope and faith. Yeah, well, it's just a bummer because it's just the the mouth issue month for me. With root canal, (laughs) I have another chipped filling thing it's what it is it's just welfare dentistry coming to fruition 
in my 40s. Yes. Like, even when I, I thought about this the other day because my dentist was like, you know, we could cover up all of the the dark fillings that you have from the 80s, from your childhood. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that would be great. You know, I'm on camera. If I ever open my mouth real wide, people could see. I don't think there's ever a reason for you to open your mouth that wide. Is there, would there ever be a reason? Unless I'm, you're talking about the dentist wanting to change the color of your fillings. I don't know why I yell. There's been times where I've taken photos of myself where I'm like, ah! And then, you know, with my mouth open, and then I'm like, oh, Jesus, it's really black fillings in there. Uh-huh. And the, but I got to thinking that no, it's like a, it's like a bad tattoo that you get that you never want to get rid of because it reminds you of a time of your life. I think I'm going to keep them, not yeah. cover them with the white. Yeah. <laughs> Badge of honor for being a welfare kid An who homage had to Medicaid. The past. Yes. Yeah, it yeah. paid for my, uh, paid for my uh, my my bad teeth. Well, my as many cavities. Yeah, as, as a child. As the Republicans are starting to talk about their uh, budget cuts, they're going after Medicaid and wanting to implement work requirements. We'll get to that later, but my whole point is that Medicaid is actually a, a very popular program, and many people have a, it has a high favorability rating among Americans. The majority of Americans rate it positively, mm-hmm. and I am one of those. I, I grew up on Medicaid, and I guess I came in at a time where they started offering the the nice looking fillings, as it were, yeah, to the Medicaid kids because I had multiple fillings throughout my childhood. I would just eat sugar. My parents would find me in the cabinet just eating cookies and eating. I would heat sugar up with butter and melt it in a cup and just eat that. Wow, you sound like my little brother. Yeah, I had who did that. Stuff. I have distinct memories of like, you know what? I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> it involved. Rotten teeth, okay? And so very bad, just rotten a lot. And Well, imagine where you'd be without the assistance of public assistance. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it would be just a, a trailer park mouth. It would just be meth mouth for both of us, if not for the intervention of our social safety net. Yeah, I, I'm very grateful for the ability to have gotten the treatment because of Medicaid. And luckily, I had a very resourceful mom who was like, before you turn 18, let's really get as much stuff done as possible. Right. <laughs> you know, right. uh, luckily, my appendix almost exploded before I was 18. And oh, lost my yeah. Medicaid, uh, luckily. And uh, she's like, let's just get all your wisdom teeth out in advance. Let's just go in and do that. And so... Medicaid covered that too. Better and- than boot camp. I had two of mine removed in Marine Corps boot camp where you're supposed to get like four or six, I don't remember, hours of free time, light duty or something they call it. And I went and passed out because I was still bleh, and woke up to a bloody pillow because I drooled on my pillow. And then I, I got, you know, punished by drill instructors for bleeding on my pillow because, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Sounds like a great environment. Yeah, really. <laughs> very nurturing yeah. Marine Corps boot camp. Yeah, we I should, love that. We should tell some stories sometime. Maybe we'll do that on like a, a Patreon only. Oh. A Patreon only episode where people can ask boot camp questions because I, I got all kinds of crazy stories. I bet. Well, on that note, thank you to our Patreon supporters because we could not do this show without our Patreon supporters. We want to thank our new Patreon supporters, Wendy H., Wendy H. Patricia L. Patricia L. Kirsten S. Kirsten S. And Katie K. Katie K. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. The main perk, I guess, that has been most appealing for people lately is that through Patreon, you get access to the ad-free show. Wait, wait. 
the main perk is not listening to me whine about my mouth. I mean, that's part of it, but it is not the main perk. Lucky you guys. And so you get access to the ad-free show, whether you want to listen through Patreon or you get the RSS feed link that you can then paste into your podcatcher and listen to the ad-free episode wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. Yeah, yeah. And while we're kind of on this like promotional note, I guess we should say that we both have YouTube channels, and you should subscribe to both of those YouTube channels. And we are on other social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. So if you are on those social media channels, then you can follow us at Dollamore at Brittany E. Page. Yes. Yes. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Again, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Uh, let's get to some listener communication. Before we do, I'll drop the number and the email address so you too can take part in communicating with the show, asking a question, making a comment, uh, discussing something that's on your mind. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Uh, let's start with Gary in Washington State. Hey, Brittany, Jesse, this is Gary, Southwest Washington. I was watching the NRA coverage uh, on the news, I think Comedy Central, and um, a guy was going through there looking at all the AR-15s, that cool tactical gear that makes your dick way bigger. And he came across the JR-15, which I'd never heard of, a diminutive version of the AR-15 to fit the 12-year-old and 13-year-old in your life. What parent? in their right mind would buy their 12-year-old child an AR-15 or a JR-15 that it's more easier for them to handle. I don't know if I'd sleep very well at night if my 12-year-old son had had an AR-15. But we've lost our minds. As a collective, we have lost our ever-loving fucking minds if anybody thinks that's okay. So Washington State is stepping up. House and Senate have passed a bill banning the sale, manufacture, or importation of new AR-15s for sale in the state of Washington. We're not going to do it. They also banned sales of AK-47s and a, a, a variety of, you know, handful of other uh, semi-automatic rifles they deem inappropriate, not necessary. Uh, I'm sure it goes straight to the Supreme Court where Clarence Thomas, that icon of virtue, uh, and his howler monkey buddies will just blast it down because you know states' rights. I don't. I don't understand. I, I was a hunter. I sold both my guns uh, when I had, had children. Um, I just didn't feel safe with them in the house, uh, and I didn't enjoy it as much anymore. I had a thirty thirty bolt action, you know, with a clip that hold I think four shells, and I had a Remington Wingmaster full choke shotgun for pheasant hunting, which I really enjoyed. Uh, just being out in the countryside, you know, it, it, with your dog. I mean, it was really that was that was very entertaining. But I just decided I didn't enjoy it as much. So I'm not anti-gun. I'm just anti-guns of mass destruction like the AR-15. That gal in Tennessee shot 152 shots in a matter of minutes. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I heard reports that several teachers on that Christian, at that Christian school were actually carrying. So I appreciate you guys because you're getting the word out. And when enough people finally realize that we these people are driving us off a cliff in a clown car and we're locked in the fucking trunk and we have no way to get out of it we do when a big enough mass of people finally say enough we'll reach this point 
and maybe it will start to change. I mean, I, I'm a little jealous. I look at France. They're in mass protest over raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. And we've got more mass shootings yeah. in days in the year so far in America. What the fuck? Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> That's a lot packed into a very short call. Yeah. So it is fascinating to me that these gun companies, and it's not by accident the, that they're marketing to children. They're marketing to parents for the children. And it's it's akin to like Joe Camel, like the cartoons that surrounded cigarettes, like the bubblegum flavors of vape for tobacco. It's, it's, I mean, what's next? Um, Kitty, like, remember candy cigarettes? I loved candy cigarettes. Yeah, right? Well, yeah. that's, that was also a marketing tactic. And it's the same. Like, are we going to be expecting, like, kid kits for, like, you ever watch the movie Ray where they've got their little leather kit that they would break out their needles to do their heroin and stuff? Hmm. Is that what's next? Is is like kitty kits for for illicit drug use? I mean, it's that would be outrage inducing, but why not with the JR fifteen, which is only an entry level access point to normalizing a weapon of war? Well, Gary discussed this important legislation that that is going to the governor's desk, Jay Inslee, and it is going to ban the sale of uh, assault weapons. Washington is expected to become the 10th state in the nation to ban the sale of assault weapons. The bill cleared its final hurdle today or yesterday, passing in the House 56 to 42, mainly along party lines. Governor Jay Inslee is expected to sign the bill into law today, and it will take effect immediately. It would ban all future sales, import, and manufacturing of guns defined as assault weapons. One thing the legislation does not ban is possession. Gun owners who already own one would not be impacted by the law, leading to a rush at the registers. Backers of the bill say this will save lives, citing a federal study that shows if the federal assault weapons ban stayed in effect, it would have prevented mass shootings. So people always say, well, what can we do? What are we supposed yeah. to do? And this seems like a pretty good place to start. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're expecting, and I don't know that too many of our audience would be of this mindset that, they're a, who would allow the perfect to, to get in the way of the good. And just because this wouldn't prevent all mass shootings or even the majority of or whatever fraction that you think is appropriate for this kind of legislation, this will get in the way a little bit. It will delay someone. Imagine someone uh, in Seattle, a large city, whatever, and they want to carry out mass carnage and they go to buy a weapon. They can't buy it. So but they would have to travel hours away out of state to go buy one. Yeah, maybe they would do that, but maybe not. And if we can stop this incrementally, the violence, the killing, the carnage, then why not try something? Trying something, I don't want to get basic and elementary about it, but trying something is better than not doing anything, which has been the track record of our legislators for decades. Yeah, and it's been hard to move away from the gun conversation. We've we've had some listeners call in and say, I'm like so sick of talking about this. I'm yeah. sick of dealing with this. And unfortunately, we had so many events just in the past week where there were 
shootings of people making basic mistakes, uh, going to the wrong house in Ralph Yarl's case, driving into a a driveway that was the wrong driveway, uh, getting into the wrong car in Texas. All of these different events led to shootings. And in the case of 16-year-old Ralph Yarl, he is alive. He is at home. It is amazing that that is the case because he was shot in the head and the arm and he had to go from house to house and beg for help uh, three houses before someone finally helped him and Andrew Lester the shooter uh, finally made his appearance in court big headlines from this he pleaded not guilty in this shooting faced with multiple felony counts for the Thursday shooting of 16 year old Ralph Yarl. He also was told by the judge of certain conditions of his bond. Among them, he has to report within 24 hours uh, to a bond supervision company. They'll visit once every month at least. After that, he has to turn over any weapons that he has to police. He cannot have a concealed carry permit. He said he does have one, so he'll turn that over as well. And then finally, and of course, we expected this, he can have no contact with Ralph Yarl and his family. His attorney saying they will work with authorities immediately to make sure all of those uh, procedures are followed. And with that, Ralph Yarl and his attorney exited through that same private entrance. We have producers and crews circling the courthouse. So if they even poked their heads outside, we hope to hear of that soon. But it was a quick hearing, Peter, um, with a lot of updates. As you said. Maggie, you also spoke to the neighbor who says that he helped Ralph Yarl after he was shot. What did he he tell you? Yeah, we know, Peter, that Ralph Yarrell, after he was shot, went running for help. His family said uh, that he begged for help at basically three homes. And finally, a neighbor yelled at him to get on the ground and put his hands in the air. Ralph, this wounded kid, they say complied. At that point, that's when James Lynch, a separate neighbor from all that commotion before, says he basically heard the yelling. He came running. He hopped a fence. And he says he got down next to this teenager who he could tell obviously was gravely wounded, stayed with him till paramedics arrived. Here's part of what he told us. Take a listen. He wasn't alone. He wasn't by himself. Somebody cared. To lay there in the street alone and scared and bleeding, that's awful. I wouldn't... He wasn't alone. I was with him as long... As as soon as I knew he needed help, I was there. And I was there with him until the right people were there to make sure that he was okay. One of many people obviously so shaken by this. I do want to end, Peter, again, if we can pull back up that photo of Ralph Yarl and his attorney, his family's attorney, Lee Merritt. That photo is just astonishing, given what he's been through. He's outside. He's smiling. He's home healing. His family, Peter, saying that he is recovering from this shooting one day at a time. I cannot say enough about how disgusted I am about the three different homes that would not help a 16-year-old boy who was shot in the head and screaming that he had been shot and begging for help. Mm-hmm. And in addition to the the trauma that Ralph Yarl has experienced by being shot in the head and the arm for trying to pick up his siblings at, at their friend's house, um, he also has to grapple with that, with, with going in this situation where he's completely helpless and is relying on other people to help him yeah. and then being rejected and told to get on the ground and put his hands up like he's in trouble. He's a suspect. Yeah, or he's a threat when yeah. he's the one who has been wounded in a way that could have killed him. There were three words that the guy who laid with him in the street said that really stuck with me, and that is, I was going to wait for him until the right people showed up 
to to take care of him, mm-hmm. which indicates to me that in some way the guy who laid with 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 Ralph Yarrow, he did believe that they maybe there was still a threat that I needed to stay there until the right people, authorities, people who were going to provide safety and comfort and life saving medical um, attention, not the neighbors mm-hmm. who ignored him. I, I saw interviews of a guy, a reporter out in the street, like putting a mic into cars as they were leaving their driveways. And it was like radio silence in support of the guy who almost killed this child because of his Fox News fantasies about dangers and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the 24-hour outrage cycle. Right. And we talked about on the last episode that Andrew Lester is claiming that he was in fear for his life because he saw a quote, six foot tall black man and was scared for his life. Yeah. And we talked about how Ralph Yarl is 5'8", 16 year old kid. Yeah. He is not a six foot tall man. And yet you will see Fox News hosts, I've seen at least one, saying, well, you can really see how Andrew Lester would be scared with a six foot tall uh, young man. They're, you're using the phrase young man rather than child. Right. To somehow say that Andrew Lester was justified in his fears. What's interesting about Fox News saying that is that Andrew Lester apparently is a fan of Fox News. And Jesse, you talked about this on the last episode, that someone like Andrew Lester, who is, I believe, in his 80s, and uh, just sitting at home, apparently, watching Fox News, this was confirmed by his family. Yeah. Yeah, Anna, so we're standing here in Liberty, Missouri at the Clay County Courthouse. We were here yesterday in that courtroom when 84-year-old Andrew Lester pleaded not guilty to the charges against him. He's the, 80, he's the white homeowner in this case in Kansas City who police say indeed shot 16-year-old Ralph Yarl. I want to be clear, him pleading not guilty does not mean that he's saying that he didn't shoot Yarl. We know according to court documents that he told detectives that he did so, he believed at the time in self-defense because he said he thought Yarl was trying to break into his his home. He claims he grabbed for the door handle. Yarl's family says he absolutely did not, that he only rang the doorbell. That teen, of course, at home recovering from gunshot wounds to his head and arm. Overnight, by the way, some added context to this shooting. Andrew Lester's ex-wife telling the New York Times she hasn't spoken to her ex-husband in decades. They divorced record show in the 90s, but she said, unfortunately, this does not surprise her, telling the Times that during their 14-year marriage, Andrew Lester, she says, was prone to fits of rage and she says would smash things when he got angry. Also, two of his grandsons talking to the Kansas City Star and The Independent telling them that their grandfather, one grandson, says lives in what he called a 24-hour news cycle of fear and paranoia, talking, frankly, about a lot of far-right conservative media outlets, saying there was a lot of conversation about stand your ground and the need to defend your home. Also, one of the grandsons saying his grandfather had spoken disparagingly, he says about his words, black people, gay people, and immigrants. And I want to be very clear, we have not spoken to those sources independently, Anna, but definitely some added context as this teen recovers from this tragic shooting. And this, of course, is not surprising. Like like I talked about last time on the show, having not had this information, I was just generally talking about when you have a media um, conglomeration with Newsmax and OAN and Daily Wire and Daily Caller and Fox News that is just 24-7 fear, 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 outrage, outrage, outrage. Black people are scary. Black people are criminals. Black people are dangerous. Immigrants, 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 gay, Antifa, everything else. This is the inevitability. 
when you mix in easy access to guns and fear for your life and safety, that's what's going to happen. I mean, they've done study after study of this older generation of boomers have been like indoctrinated to believe the wildest of conspiracy theories and believe everything they watch on Fox News. What would you expect to happen? So, uh, unfortunately... This is a situation that's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And uh, it's going to take all of our efforts organizing and being active in politics, at the very least showing up to the voting, the polling stations to to vote, to enact policy that will uh, avoid these types of things happening in the future. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. In a shocking turn of events, the Supreme Court uh, protected access to the abortion pill mifepristone. We talked at length on the previous episode about the process that this has gone through over the past few weeks with the radical right-wing judge in Texas and his hyperbolic, inaccurate, unscientific (laughs) language and ruling about Mifepristone. I mean, he's practically in his court rulings using um, anti-abortion activist language. Like, he's practically using pre-born human, pre-born... It's... It's remarkable that he's not even trying to hide his point of view and activism from the bench. Right. Now, the important thing to remember here is, well, there's two things. Mifepristone continues to be legal in states where it is legal. So that that is important. And like we talked about on the previous episode, please follow Aid Access USA and uh, Plan C Pills, because those are two organizations that help people access abortion pills, regardless of what state they live in, regardless of whether or not it is Mm -hmm. legal. So those are important resources to have on hand, to share in your communities, to share as much as possible. Now, the other is that this doesn't mean that the Supreme Court has been saved. (laughs) Right. There's some sort of reform that has happened within the court that they are suddenly reasonable. It's just that they uh, are, are not upholding the the order in this case. So Justice Alito dissented and Justice Thomas said that he would reject the application. Of course it was those two assholes. From a legal perspective, the issue really was just should the court push pause on that Texas district court judge's ruling that said that the FDA should never have approved of mifepristone. As the court acknowledged that really would have created chaos. The normal thing in these circumstances in a decision where it would really upend, for instance, a regulatory market, it would upend our ability to use mifepristone and prescribe mifepristone. The legal default is to say, let's maintain the status quo while the case is being appealed. And that's exactly what is going to happen now. By a vote of seven to two, the Supreme Court said, keep the status quo. The case will now be heard, I believe, before the Fifth Circuit in about two weeks. Okay, so it sounds like the appeals process may be fairly fast-tracked. Absolutely. The Fifth Circuit already ruled on this. They would have imposed a partial stay. The Supreme Court today imposed a full stay. 
The Fifth Circuit is a very conservative circuit. I think they tip their hands as to where they're going with respect to that partial stay. But absolutely, it is being fast tracked. We don't typically talk about a big case like this and say it will be heard in two weeks. And I think everybody understands the importance of the issue here. I was just going to say that was what jumped out at me was um, the timeline. So what does this ruling mean for other commonly used abortion pills, abortion drugs? So uh, nothing in the sense that we're now just maintaining the status quo, but I do think it sends a signal to other potential challengers that at least the Supreme Court was not willing to allow this particular case to go into effect until it is a final ruling. Now, the real thing to look to is once the case is in fact heard on the merits, this was just, should we push pause on the Texas Uh, court's ruling Mm -hmm. or not? But once we hear it on the merits, then the court weighs in on the substance. That will tell us what happens for other drugs. So it's just to decode it, it sounds like it's really a two-step process here. We have this initial decision on the the sort of pause, and now there's going to be a weighing of, of the merits of the argument. So let me reinforce what you said earlier, that this really may just be a postponement of the ban until the official ban can go in place implemented by the Supreme Court who will rule after if the Fifth Circuit does what everybody expects it to do it ends up in the in the hands of the Supreme Court this very well could go down in a very bad way yes and it is not over and that is yeah. the sad thing I mean it, it was good news yesterday it was a relief because it, it it didn't ban mifepristone mifepristone is still available you can still get it and that that is important but <laughs> to hear the phrase for now yeah that mifepristone is safe for now is still scary because we know that there's still a risk here of of this this effort on the part of radical right-wing judges being successful yeah that, that's where the risk is the risk is not with Mif- Mif- mifepristone uh because as we talked about in the last episode penicillin is more dangerous than mifepristone Viagra is orders of magnitude more deadly than mifepristone. This is not about safety or the efficacy of the of the medicine. This is all about activism. This is all about an anti-abortion take on and worldview that is being implemented because of Donald Trump's um, nominations and confirmations through the Senate to the federal bench. Yes. And this is, is one more reason why... Your activism, your organization, your not being complacent about politics matters. In things that seem boring or, or, or dry, not really substantive because it's, oh, it's judges, who cares? It matters more than maybe anything who ends up on the Supreme Court and who ends up on the bench in the federal circuit. So, and, and that's all predicated on who's, who's not only president, but also who's in the Senate. You have to stay Involved. Yes, and there's currently some infighting among the Republican candidates. I keep forgetting. Yeah, there are official candidates, other ones. Is Nikki Haley the only other official candidate? No, Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay. He's another one. Okay, so... They're both, like, pulling in the, like, single digits or decimal places. It's not great. Because in the media, they will talk about Tim Scott, Mike Pence, and Ron DeSantis as though they are running. Yeah. And they haven't announced yet. That, that well, Tim Scott has announced his exploratory committee. Mm-hmm. He's so he's putting his feelers out there. But it was the same thing that uh, 
dumb dumb Secretary of State. Uh, what's his name? Mike, Mike, oh, uh, Mike, Mike Pompeo. Yeah, Pompeo. It's <laughs> based on his name. He was doing the same thing and just announced, all right, yeah, not not now. The, the Lord has told me when I was talking to Jesus on the bat phone that that's not my time. Oh. So right now it's just Trump, just Nikki Haley, and just Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, so there's been some infighting about how far to go with these policies because I think Republicans are recognizing that abortion rights are widely popular. They yeah. are popular with the majority of Americans. And so if you go extreme, like many of them are, like all of them are, but yeah. some pretend, right? Right. Uh, then it's not going to be popular when you're running for in the general election. And so Ron DeSantis, of course, is competing for the most radical yeah, he is. <laughs> side of the Republican Party. And he made that clear when he took his, his don't say gay bill, which used to, or in the original formation of it, was a ban on instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity, but up to third grade. Well, now it has been expanded to all grades. When Governor DeSantis first signed this law last year, it initially applied to kids in kindergarten through third grade. Now this expansion by the State Board of Education expands it through all grades in Florida schools. What this does is essentially ban teaching of sexual orientation or gender identity through all grades unless required as part of sex ed, which students can choose not to take. And this will all take effect in a month. That ruling came Wednesday while the Florida House was passing a number of proposals, including a bill raising penalties for venues who admit kids to called adult live performances, AKA drag shows, another that makes it a felony to provide transgender treatment or procedures to minors, and a third bill moving forward, which restricts people using public bathrooms that don't match their sex at birth. Now, some members of the LGBTQ community say these men Measures make them feel unsafe. I don't know what to expect going into the women's restroom, especially with my voice now. I'm, I feel unwanted in the state I grew up in, the state that the only state I've known. Now, proponents of these measures say it's about protecting children, and as far as the bathroom bill goes, preventing assaults in bathrooms. Now, the bills related to drag shows and transgender treatment for minors are headed to the governor's desk, where he is expected to sign them. The bill regarding bathrooms is now in the Senate, where they will discuss that and take a vote on that, likely in the few near future. We're live in Tampa this morning. Aaron Parsegian, 10 Tampa Bay. It's just... I'm flabbergasted that we're here. I mean... Remember, if you will, harken back to 2015, June 26, 2015, when uh, the the, the Obergefell ruling came out and marriage equality was the law of the land and people were celebrating so happy. It seemed like we had passed uh, uh, a barrier to never return to. And here we are now with Republicans demonizing not only trans people, the rest of the LGBTQ community is being absolutely demonized and it's open season. You've got people like Charlie Kirk and others who are just openly um, bigoted and invoking like violent language. And it's just a weird place to be in 2023. I know that's a, it's a common refrain that gets made fun of that t- saying what year it is and being shocked at the regressive nonsense that we're facing it's pretty apt. Well, and it's also empty of anything meaningful. Like Ron DeSantis makes these appearances, and it's clear that it's all about ratcheting up the hate and the fear and using buzzwords and 
just relying on a lot of archaic ideas. And we know that Ron DeSantis loves to go after wokeism, quote unquote wokeism. <laughs> and there was a, an appearance that he recently made actually in South Carolina where I think he used the word woke like seven times in 20 seconds. So because the woke represents a war on truth, uh, we have no other recourse but to wage a war on woke. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. That's witnessing Ron DeSantis short circuit in real time. The woke, uh, woke, we, woke will die. Just. It's bananas. The thing is, though, is that it works. Yeah. This is a, this is, there's efficacy in this particular talk track because Republicans are lapping it up. Not the general electorate, but the Republican base, which is very strange. I mean, anytime in a primary, you see politicians appeal to the base. They pander to the base. Well, with the Republican Party, you're pandering, pandering to the worst instincts of the electorate and then during the general you're going to have to try to swing back to pick up the the, the rest of, of of the general voting base but they're they're really poured it on thick with the hatred and the fear again the it's the the two-pronged approach to republican politics yeah well Ron DeSantis is making an effort to appeal to this people like the uh, county commissioner and the sheriff in Oklahoma, in, in McCurtain <laughs> County, Oklahoma, that were caught on tape saying horrible, horrifying things, including, like, uh, killing journalists and, like, hearkening back to wasn't it a great time when they could lynch black people. Yeah. I mean, this this was... <sighs> pretty, pretty mainstream Republicanism, though. Well, that's what I'm saying. Ron DeSantis is trying to appeal to these people because the people who are we're gonna we're gonna play the recording. We're gonna play some of this. The people that are caught on this recording, the county commissioner and the sheriff in McCurtain County, Oklahoma, they are people who are upset about woke. And if you were to ask them what does woke mean, they probably wouldn't be able to explain it. Right. You know? uh, or there, like be, none of them can. Yeah, if you asked 100 different conservatives what woke means, you would get 100 different definitions. Or a blank stare. And, <laughs> yeah, and it would all be, like, racist. Yeah, you know? oh, um, absolutely. And and this this is an example of who Ron DeSantis is appealing to. Again tonight with new developments in the call for a host of resignations of McCurtain County officials. Today, one of the four officials under fire for comments allegedly made while they were being secretly recorded has resigned. District 2 Commissioner Mark Jennings did so this morning. A reporter for the McCurtain County Gazette admits to secretly recording Jennings, Sheriff Kevin Clardy, Investigator Alicia Manning, and Trust Administrator Larry Hendricks. In a transcription by the Gazette newspaper, the four are accused of making racist comments and making jokes about the recent death of a woman in a house fire. Sheriff Clardy was suspended from the Oklahoma Sheriff's Association yesterday. Now, we've downloaded and listen to more of the recordings published by the McCurtain County Gazette. Here's KSLA News 12's Jasmine Franklin. Well, I told you, Will. Yeah. Well, I know where two big deep holes are here. I got an escalator. These are our three dogs. 
We're hearing more audio from the recording released by the McCartan Gazette, where county officials are accused of saying some very disturbing comments. The Gazette says in that audio, they were referring to the burial of two of its reporters, father and son, Bruce and Chris Willingham. The Gazette says in the following audio, county officials are discussing hiring a hitman to allegedly kill the reporters. I know two three hitmen, those very quiet guys. Yeah. And would cut no mercy. Yeah. In Louisiana, because it was all mafia around yeah. Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but here's the reality. It's a hair on his wife's head, her son's head, or any of those people that really were behind all that. If the hair on their head got touched by anybody, who, who would be the bad guy? The audio was recorded by Bruce Willingham, a reporter for the Gazette, after the county commissioner's meeting on March 6th. In the audio, the Gazette claims Jennings and Clardy can be heard making jokes about lynchings. I'm going to tell you something. If it was back in the day, would that like when Alan Marshall take a damn black hat, whoop their ass, throw them in the cell, I'd run the chair. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. We'll take them down on a mud creek and hang them up with a damn rope. Also on the recording, they can be heard laughing about house fire victim Danette Stowe, referring to her remains as barbecue. Never had barbecue. That's nothing. Yeah. Same. I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm to glasses on. got to wrap the can full of the body bag. Kyle goes, you know what we got to do now, right? No, what? She goes, she got to preheat the oven 350 degrees, leave her in there for 15 minutes, and she went, <laughs> 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 uh, It was, uh, and then the medical examiner asked, her, he said, hey, we're just going to eat, and he looked at the face, he goes, you want to go with me and go eat barbecue? <laughs> The Gazette says the release of the audio is a part of a series the publication is creating, and the full audio recording will be released at the end of the series. In McCurtain County, Jasmine Franklin, KSLA News 12. Well, it's nice to see that uh, this guy did end up getting a job after being banned from Delta Airlines. Donald Trump, baby! <laughs> you know what I mean? Listen. It is hard to understand that audio. Come on now. I mean, what what's that character on uh, King of the Hill? Uh, Boomhauer? That is not a reference I That read. is, listen, this is mainstream Republicanism. These people are elected Republicans in the state of Oklahoma. And they're, this is a talk track that you hear all the time. He's talking about lynching a black man, hanging him by a rope, above some river and then he follows it up with this gem immediately after you can't do that though they have more rights than we got i'm not even allowed to murder a black man because he's got more rights than me it is wild bizarre this is a sheriff and county commissioner yes and these are people that have power over other people Someone. These are people who rose their right hand and swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of these United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Inside of that Constitution, we have the 14th Amendment, equal protection, equal justice under the law. They don't care about that. They would rather... They feel it is their right to lynch and kill and murder and make terrible jokes about people who died in a house fire. And rather than saying, you know, Jesus, it's time for self-reflection. I am going to resign. 
And I am ashamed and embarrassed that I guess like the type of person that I am has been caught on tape and everyone sees it. <laughs> I've been outed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rather than like taking ownership and resigning is the key thing here. The the sheriff, they're saying that this recording was illegally obtained. That's oh, what they're focusing on. It's the leak, not what was leaked. Right. And okay, we, we understand you don't want to take responsibility. Only one of these people has resigned. Yeah. So that's unacceptable. Also, this is so radical that it's so publicly distasteful that like state officials have said, like or the governor has said, yeah, you got to go. And not because, oh, what you did was so super wrong, because this is in alignment with what we're witnessing all across the country from conservative media figures. It's because, oh, this is too much heat on us now. Sorry, you're the sacrificial lamb. You got to go. Yeah. Ugh. So we will continue to follow that. Hopefully there will continue to be more pressure. It's a very small town, and that was, I believe, the news package from that county. And they did a really good job. Like, I, I listened yeah. to several different news packages about that story specifically, and theirs was the best one. I so. especially liked her pronunciation of hitman. She, he's a hitman. <laughs> Very nice. Listen, we'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So we have the the upcoming debt ceiling standoff. I guess it's not upcoming. It's happening right now. And I know that you're thinking, well, listen, when Donald Trump was president for four years, they had three uh, debt ceiling yeah. increases without any kind of cuts or demands for cuts. And and why would the Republicans be? I wonder, I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why they would be doing that. It's not that. because of rampant, sickening, sinister hypocrisy, is it, Brittany? I mean, I guess we'll see. <laughs> As this day proceeds, I'm struck by how many members of Congress have told me they're surprised they're not getting more calls from their constituents about this or more concerns from the people back home because the stakes couldn't be higher. If this debt ceiling is breached, if there's a default on the U.S. debt, there is a potential cataclysmic impact on our economy, jobs, and the stock market. Let's put that aside. The Republicans have a proposal. It's about 300 pages, but it hasn't been released yet. So it's difficult at this moment for Republicans to say what parts of it they're going to defend and support. Difficult for Democrats to pick apart the granular details inside. But Democrats have been unequivocal. They think all of this, all of this positioning and jockeying by Republicans is flat out hypocrisy. Take a listen to one. This whole effort reeks of hypocrisy and double standard. So no one put any conditionality on Donald Trump. In four years, he got three debt ceiling increases with overwhelming Republican support and not a whisper about, no, it has to be balanced with cuts somewhere else. And we got to remember, this isn't forward looking, right? A debt ceiling statutory increase is all about confirming we're good for the debt we've already incurred. Democrats here in Congress and the president have said you pass the debt ceiling increase clean with no contingencies and you negotiate budgets later. That's not going to fly right now with Republicans, even as this deadline, this dangerous deadline quickly approaches. I think in uh, Scott McFarland's reporting, that was Scott McFarland from CBS, talking about up front in the clip about how he's talking to lawmakers who were surprised they're not hearing from their constituents. And you brought that up earlier when you were talking about, actually, you didn't. It was in the clip. <laughs> Look at me having a false memory. Um, <laughs> Where's Elizabeth Loftus when you need her? I know. Um, uh, in the clip, talking about France. 
uh, rising up. Or that was Gary. It was Gary. Okay, Gary see, the caller. I'm getting it. I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> I'm paying attention to what we're doing here. So Gary talking about France and the uprising uh, and raising the retirement age. Yeah, yeah. And then you did talk about it in terms of the, the gun rights conversation that, that we should be increasing our activism. And one of those things is calling your representative yeah. and and putting the pressure on them and maybe everyone is just kind of fatigued yeah i think well well what happens sometimes in, in my estimation how i would would navigate the world and how it works is people get fatigued like you just said they get tired they get uh, overwhelmed by the rancor, by the like, like if you live in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, do you really think it's going to move the needle to call her? Oof. I mean, I, I don't know. So, I, like, I get it, I get it. But what it takes is an all year, twenty four seven activism. You have to show up at the polls. You have to get people who might not otherwise be involved in politics. You have to get them involved, and. It is the hypocrisy that wears on people. For instance, the three times during Donald Trump's four years in office that they passed with no negotiations, no cutbacks here and there. While Donald Trump, keep in mind, it makes it even worse, even more gross, that while this was happening, Donald Trump was adding our debt now is like $31 trillion, 25% of which was created by Donald Trump in four years. Yeah. And crickets, crickets from the peanut gallery um, when it came time for the debt ceiling fight because there was no fight. We're just going to do what Donald Trump says. Yeah, I mean, really, there are endless examples of the hypocrisy because, of course, Kevin McCarthy has been talking about cuts to things like food stamps and cuts to things like... Medicaid and don't let them sell this to you in in any other way but a cut. If you are putting work requirements yeah. into Medicaid, that is a cut. And it's to dissuade people who might get on the rolls, who might take advantage of that social safety net, dissuade them from doing so at all. Right. And so the Republicans go after the social safety net and pretend to care about like fraud and unnecessary right. spending and abuse. And yet they say nothing about the $858 billion defense budget and the fact that the Department of Defense cannot pass an audit. They cannot tell you. Half how, a decade. They cannot tell you how $858 billion is being spent. They have failed five audits yeah. since 2017. So why aren't they concerned about that? They're so worried about fraud and abuse and misspending within the government, right. but only when it is something that could benefit poor people, the most vulnerable in this country. It makes me sick. Our defense budget is a laughable amount per year. Nearly $1,000 million. Nearly $1,000 billion. Nearly a trillion dollars every single year and where's 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 the war there's not even a war taking place so it is laughable it is a joke it is hypocrisy of the highest order that just is somehow accepted by mainstream journalists and politicians it's just that's just the way it is yeah and it's not okay it's not okay because people suffer and you know who doesn't suffer uh, defense contractors, the military, the Pentagon, and the military-industrial complex, which Eisenhower talked about. 
in the 50s. Kevin McCarthy, he also does not suffer. No, he most certainly does not suffer from intelligence or anything else. Anyway, we would love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Laura Streitman. I don't know who this is. The leader in the Cincinnati Right to Life movement. Oh, that would I, probably explain why you don't know. I, I do know who this is. I've seen this clip. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's very disturbing what you're about to hear. Very disgusting. And these are the kinds of people that want to be dictating other people's health care. Yeah. And they want to vote in and support the most radical candidates to put into place their vision of how 10-year-olds should respond to rape. She cried and begged for a little sister or a baby. And while a pregnancy might have been difficult on a 10-year-old body, a woman's body is designed to carry life. That is a biological fact. It is not designed to have disgusting death instruments remove her preborn child from her womb both situations would be difficult, but we know for a fact that every single time, life wins. And that, again, is a statistical fact. It's a terrible, tragic situation, and we must do better to protect children from that kind of a difficult situation that allows such heinous, horrible abuse. And I'm sorry the rapist did not, the abortionist did not report the rape, and I'm sorry that the mother permitted this. An effort to have things that are accurate on this record in this very distinguished body in these halls where laws are made. That is simply untrue. It was reported. So let us not continue to spread disinformation time and time again about certain families' personal issues that they have dealt with in terms of a 10-year-old rape victim being raped and child sexual abuse. I take extreme offense to that on behalf of the family and the poor 10-year-old who is subjected in that, in that way to being the poor 10-year-old who is subjected in that, in that way to being raped at such a young, tender age. So this is, of course, the discussion about the 10-year-old that made national headlines shortly after Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. and In Ohio and had to flee to Indiana to get an abortion. And there was an attempt on the part of Republicans to say that this wasn't true, right. that this was false, that this was a lie, that this didn't happen, that a 10-year-old rape victim did not have to travel out of state in order to obtain an abortion. They tried to say it was a made-up story. And now you can see how the goalposts have moved the right yeah it is no longer a lie or a made-up story no she's talking about a 10 year old as though a 10 year old is a woman who should have a baby after being raped it, it's exactly what she said she used the word woman she said while a 10 year old might not really want to carry blah 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 a woman's body is designed for childbirth well a 10 year old is not a woman no, and I i mean, imagine being a person who is, like, standing before a 10-year-old and telling them how they should respond to a rape. I mean, I, yeah. imagine feeling like, imagine having the audacity to get up 
and make comments about what a 10-year-old should have done. Yeah. Because you know what? I wouldn't stand here and say uh, if the if the 10-year-old had the baby, I wouldn't be standing here saying, wow, that 10-year-old really shouldn't have had that baby. That's what a terrible thing that 10-year-old yeah. did. Guess what? I am only sympathetic and horrified and disgusted by the rape. I want the 10-year-old to be as healthy and whole as possible. Whatever it takes to get there is what I would be interested in. I have an opinion about what I would want for my 10-year-old kid or what I would want for myself. But I just can't imagine having the audacity to get up and and force your own worldview on a child. To take choices away. Yeah. And keep in mind, this woman is someone who, if you were able to administer the morning after pill to the 10-year-old, she would also want that illegal. Right. No, no, very likely opposed to contraception, to any form of reproductive health care at all. So, I mean, the other thing that she said was, Every single time life wins, I guess except for 20% of pregnancies, one in five that don't that don't uh, bear out a child. Mm-hmm. One in five ends in miscarry. 20% and but, but but according to her, every single time life wins. Yeah. It just it is um not the facts, it is propaganda, it is a life um and and and, and life's mission built on imposing your religious worldview on the rest of the world, whether or not they share your faith tradition. Well, and again, the hypocrisy here is endless, too, because these are the same people who are trying to take away uh, gender-affirming care for minors as well as adults. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, it starts with the, the minors, and look, we're just trying to protect the kids. And then, as we're seeing in Florida, it very quickly morphs into everybody else. Right, so a 10-year-old is mature enough to have her body talked about as though she's a woman. Right. And she can have a baby. She should have a baby at at 10 years old, but shouldn't be able to make any kind of decisions about gender-affirming care. Right. Make it make sense. Is this woman listening to herself? Yeah. It's gross. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about these important topics. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo, as many do, from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Representative Jamal Bowman. Jamal Bowman. From New York. Fantastic. Recently went on CNN and had a debate. I don't really know, is this a new thing that CNN is doing? They're doing debates? CNN right now is in a period of the, the history of the company, of the of the broadcast network. of uh, it, I call it the, it's the bullshit era because they just want to throw as much shit on the side of the barn door and see what sticks. Like even their, their anchors now are all standing up in the room looking at each other. Like they're not sitting at a, like that's going to like, oh, CNN's different now. They stand instead of sit. Do you think they're going to bring back the holograms? Do you think that's the next iteration know. of what they're trying? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, they had a debate between Byron Donalds, who's a radical, one of the most radical members of the House of Representatives in the Republican Party from Florida, and uh, the aforementioned uh, Jamal Bowman, who, talk about a rock star. Yes. It's just a an absolute 
brilliant communicator of large concepts in a finite amount of time, in a short space. Specifically on the issue of systemic racism. But we have, to have say an now. economic system where two of the wealthiest Americans own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the country. We have levels of economic inequality that are worse than the Gilded Age. To truly invest in poverty, you have to reverse the impact of the disproportionate distribution of wealth that happened post-slavery. The Homestead Act, which gave the entire West to white Americans, both native and foreign-born, that kept black people from getting that land, those homes, and building wealth. Black banks have never been invested in in the way that, let's say, the Bank of Italy was invested in that now has become Bank of America, one of our largest banks. You've had Jim Crow, black laws, KKK, mass incarceration. You've had globalization where uh, we with the race to the bottom, chasing low-cost labor all over the world, taking industrial jobs out of the black communities. You know what they you know what they brought back in? Cops and drugs and the numbers game. You gave us an illegal economy and cops, but never repaired the harm that you have caused, which is why black, mostly gun trafficking is trafficking in the black and brown communities, and black and brown people are killing each other with it. So when I talk about dealing with the issue of poverty, I'm talking about reparations, repairing the historic harm, investing in schools equitably. Right now, if you live in a wealthy community, you get more money for your school than you live in a poor community. And the poor community is only poor because they were redlined by the United States government via the GI Bill. Come on now. Now, let me address a couple of your things. The first thing you said is about income inequality. Listen, of course, incomes are not equal because everybody has different levels of talent, ability. People have started in different parts in life. We both acknowledge that. Yes. I will never sit here and say some that. Some are slave masters. But Jamal, okay. I'm never going to sit here and say that black people in America started at the same place of other people in America. I'm not going to make that point because we both know that is not true. Uh, what a tired argument. Yeah, I think that this is what we need more of, and it's something that you don't see a lot in Congress. Actually, you see it a lot, but in like an unhinged way on the right, yeah. where there's like Marjorie Taylor Greene being unhinged and yelling and attacking people. But you don't see like the righteous anger uh, on the part of people on the left against things like racism and inequality and when Jamal Bowman speaks you do hear that and he is passionate and it happened after one of the most recent shootings where he was yelling at Republicans in the Capitol calling them cowards and really taking a stand in a way that you don't see very often in Congress but I think is needed. Well listen I mean what he's talking about the other remarkable thing about this, and it's a bummer that it is remarkable, we should see this constantly from members of Congress who should be able to communicate. They should give classes. Leadership in Congress of the Democratic Party should hold classes on media literacy and how to communicate and the best way to behave like Jamal Bowman just did. AOC is brilliant at it. There are several. Katie Porter is also very good. But he's describing large concepts rapidly with facts. I mean, this is just a dissertation of history, of the the, the, the horrors that have been visited upon black people in this country for generations, for hundreds of years. And then you've got the black Republican, Byron Donalds, who 
latches on to this nonsense debunked time after time after time meritocracy well yeah well we not every, some people aren't good at their jobs so so elon musk according to byron donalds is worth 127 trillion because he's just that much more brilliant and hardworking than someone who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year or 50 or twenty five thousand dollars a year it is fucking nonsense Ugh. yeah gross so anyway taking care of biz uh see we gotta keep it positive well we have to try <laughs> it's really hard it is <laughs> so jamal bowman taking care of biz once again was he our taking care of biz when he when he had the the altercation with thomas massey i don't remember huh he should have been yeah we'll do it uh, ex post facto. That's why I mentioned it, just in case. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Anyway, uh, as always, we would love to know what you think. Um, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone. Uh, and we would also, oh, at uh, I doubt it at dollamore.com. But also, we would ask that you help support the show. If you are in a financial position to do so, not if you have to budget it in, not if you're on a fixed income. No way. We're not asking. You can listen. You can share. You can follow us on social media. Those are support mechanisms that are great. But if you are in a position and you want to help support what we do, help produce our work here, you can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast and become a patron for two bucks a month every little bit goes a long way to support what we do and keep the bright studio light shining right on my stupid face (laughs) anyway we love you guys we'll see you next time until we do for Brittany Page I'm Jesse Dollimore and this has been I Doubt It